And on the topic of race, I think Kyla had a really good question for you specifically. Yeah. Uh, you stated that you were the first black police chief. Was it in Sacramento or in Roseville? Uh, both. I was uh, the first uh, black police chief in Roseville and the first officer period in Roseville. And I was the, I am the first black police chief in Sacramento. Well, as that position, what was your main goal starting out as chief, if you had one? Well, my main goal here, coming back to Sacramento, as I said in my swearing in speech, is to change um, the dynamic between law enforcement and our community and improve the level of trust and partnership. Um, I, I think we've never been at a point in this country where there's um, a super healthy amount of trust in all segments of our community between community and law enforcement ever. There's always been issues. Um, and I wanted to, as chief, use my platform and my uh, role in this department and this community to change that permanently. And so um, we don't, you know, what we see across the country right now are protests uh, um, related to law enforcement community interactions, but they're they're really much bigger than just law enforcement, but because we're the most visible arm of government, um, that's the focus. And I would like to um, think that my career and what I do as police chief can change to can start to change that dynamic. So my two daughters, who are 15 and 13 right now, don't have to have some of these same conversations. Don't have to go participate in a protest don't have to go do these things that we see today and that we've seen since the inception of this country. I would like to um, use me as a police chief to start to change that. How does teen input affect your position as chief? Um, well, I, I think too often we don't listen to teens. As adults, we think we know all the answers um, and uh, therefore make all the rules. So. I know one of the things we did with Impact SAC uh, that um, Paris and I and a few others talked about is, you know, we, especially during this COVID, we watched and witnessed and heard about a lot of mental health issues amongst teens. And it's always been there, but COVID and all that heightened it. And so we kind of finally decided that, well, who better to tell us how to address this how to address the stigma, how do we address the access, how do we get teens to go get help whenever they need help, then ask teens how that, because what you as a teen uh, experience and live every day is different from what I did as a teen. Things have changed. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have computers. We didn't have any of this stuff when I was a teen. And so I just think if we're gonna, if we're gonna make tomorrow a better place than today, then we need to involve teens and we need to involve young people because tomorrow belongs to young people. And if we don't build tomorrow the way young people with young people's input, with, with teens input, then tomorrow's not gonna be right. So, um, and I think people will always be amazed at how smart young people are. I, I know when my daughters were young, it was always amazing what they were actually listening to. You know, we, we think we're having these private conversations and we think, you know, a two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old is not paying attention. But the reality is they are. You know, whether it means when you come home, your your daughter says a cuss word and you wonder, well, wonder where they heard that from. 
Well, probably you, because they were listening, they were paying attention. And so I just think young people have a lot to give and we don't uh, allow the spaces for them to inform us and be part of the solution. And I think it's critical if we want tomorrow to be better than today. That's good also. Uh, I just want to get my last question out of the way so Sophia can finish up whatever she had. Um, so I was reading your article on Insider Magazine where you were quoted saying that it was extra impactful and that the police chief who had formerly killed George Floyd represents what you do. Can you elaborate on what you meant by that? Yeah, when I when I said represents what I do, meaning he's a police officer, he wears a uniform, has a badge. I mean, even though its badge is different and its patch is different, I mean, it looks the same. It's a uniform. It's clearly a police officer. You don't have to guess when you see a police officer. You know who a police officer is because you recognize the uniform and everything. And so here's a police officer that in my mind, police officers, you know, if you if you ask my daughters, what do police officers do? Their answer would be help people because that's what I've told them their whole life, what police officers do. When their father leaves in his uniform from the house, that's what they believe I'm doing. I'm going to help people, whatever that help looks like that day. And so when I look at things like in Minnesota, I don't see that person that represents what I represent, meaning he's wearing a police uniform, helping people. Um, and so it, it not only hurts me, but it hurts the concept of a police officer. And so when people see that, they don't see them helping. Matter of fact, they see somebody hurting somebody. And so that impacts me, that impacts the officers that work in this department, because now that erodes the trust. And so not only is it bad enough that a human being is hurting another human being, but when they're wearing a uniform that represents what's supposed to be a higher level of trust, a higher obligation, a higher responsibility, because we are entrusted with the power that a police officer has. And we don't get that power from the law. We don't get that power from the constitution or the state constitution or the US constitution. We get that power from our community because the law can say anything it wants, but if our community doesn't allow us to have that power, um, then we don't have it. And the community in this country is what is supposed to make the constitution and make the laws. And so we really get our authority and our power and our influence from the community. And when we see somebody in a uniform doing those sort of things, it takes away from that. And it makes my job harder. And it makes the men and women who work in this department's job harder. It makes being in the community harder. Um, because I believe that our communities and all communities across the country, we need law enforcement. We need that police officer. We need to be able to trust that police officer that they have our best interest at heart and they care about us, even though they've never met us. It's what we see when the Twin Towers get gets attacked, that the people in that uniform are running in and dying because they're going in to help somebody. That's what a police officer is supposed to represent. And when we see those images, like from Minnesota, it's the exact opposite of that. And it takes away um, from what good police officers are trying to do every day. That makes sense. Um, do you think his actions affected people's thoughts on police? Yes. I. Well, I mean, not only his. I mean, there's been plenty of actions. I mean, I hear a lot about how uh, we should tear uh, law enforcement down to the foundation and build it back up because its roots are rooted in 
racism and bias and all those things. And they trace um, law enforcement um, early history to slave patrols. And I don't disagree with that in terms of the history, but the, the issue is in, in our country and every other civilization in our world, law enforcement in the military has, has been utilized to enforce the norms of society. So back during slavery times in the early 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, society believed in, in slavery. And so law enforcement enforced it. But we don't talk about tearing the lawmakers, the legislative, legislative branch down to its roots and build it back up. But they're the ones that created a legal definition of slaves. We don't talk about tearing media down to its core. They're the ones that advertise that that slave ran away. They're the ones that advertise the reward for that slave. They're the ones that reinforced that slaves were less than and, and needed slavery to survive. They're the ones that advertise the Klan and all sorts of other horrible things in our history. So to me, what we really need to do is know our history because we don't. We don't know our true history. And so therefore I get comments like, well, all that bad stuff was in the South. That's just not true. There's redlining and Jim Crow and all sorts of things that were in our part of the country, in California. You know, we always take pride that California was entered into the Union as the United States as a free state. Yet we had the um, slave codes and we had uh, people did own slaves here during the gold rush. People did capture slaves and send them back to the South. All that happened in California. And so we need to know our history if we're going to know how to get out of some of the things that ail us now. And law enforcement was definitely part of that. And so we need to accept that, admit that, and then um, know what we need to do now. We need to partner with our community. We need to understand that, you know, if you research studies, the studies show that in our country, the most feared person is the black man including in the black community. The black community fears the black man more also. And there's historical reasons for that. There's current reasons for that. It's called bias. And so we need to address that, acknowledge that. And then what are we gonna do about it? How do we change that? And we can't just change it with law enforcement. We have to change it in our society with the movies we watch, with the media, with the laws, with the legislators, the politicians, the community leaders. We need to address it holistically Else we're going to continue to have these protests, these riots, buildings burning, lives lost. We just had probably nine, 10 people shot this weekend in Sacramento in communities that are underserved and don't have the resources that other communities have. There's studies that show our schools, the top 10 wealthiest uh, percent of schools in our country get 10 times more funding than the poorest 10% of schools in our country. So that just means depending on where you're born, you have more educational resources than somebody else that was born in a different neighborhood. To me, that's not living up to what our constitution says and we need to address it. And so um, absolutely law enforcement has played a big role in that. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to be police chief to start trying to change that dynamic. So we all, so somebody's kid that's born in a different neighborhood than my kids has the same opportunities that my kids have. I see. And relating to what you said before, um, do you think that history could have changed the future or do you think that future has changed the past? No, I think history is history and it is what it is. And the problem is we don't know it. 
but the resources are there. I mean, you can go, you can go right now for free and get a library card for free at the at, online. You can do it all online. And you can go read articles from the 1850s in the Sacramento Bee, in the Sacramento Union, and learn about our history. You can learn how the Klan had a chapter here in Sacramento. You can learn so many things. It's, it's at our fingertips. We have a historical museum here in Sacramento. There's plenty of research organizations that have researched our history. Um, it's easy to do. We just have to do it. Because unfortunately, our schools don't really teach our true history. So. Um, you know, it, it's it's up to us to learn our history. And I don't think anything changes history. History is what it is, and we just don't know it. But I think we can learn a lot about what we need tomorrow based on what our history was, what has worked in history, what has not worked in history. Um, and, you know, when, when somebody tells me that, um, you know, all you have to do is work hard and that all that bad stuff that was happening to whether it be black people or native Americans or any group with difference happened in the South. That means they just don't know our history. You know, uh, at most black families, the largest migration of black families to California happened during world war II when people migrated here to work in the shipyards and the steel plants and the military plants for the war effort. But those same people couldn't get promotions in their job. They couldn't have certain jobs. They couldn't go to school. They, many colleges did not allow uh, people of color to, to attend school. And many places they could not buy a house. And about a third of our, uh, uh, our worth in families, financial worth, is built in our homes, in our equity that we build up in our homes. Well, if your family was never allowed to buy a home, then how could they even attach that one third of what all families have as generational wealth. So there's reasons why um, that contribute to why certain people have not attained the same wealth and the same status in our, in our country. And those were written into our laws and our practices. And if we don't know them, then we don't know how we got here. And if we don't know how we got here, how are we gonna change things? I see. And as you said before about the difference in school systems as far as who was more funded, um, what do you think could be done to equal out the playing field for youth as far as education received or funding in general? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, I just don't think based on where you live, you should get a better education and have more resources in that education. So one, I think everybody should go to preschool. Um, they've done studies that preschool um, has a big impact in education and kids graduating from high school and things. Well, my kids went to preschool because my wife and I can afford to send them to preschool because we had to pay for it. Other families can't afford to send their kids to preschool. So that would be one. In some countries, they have a, uh, they basically centralize how they fund schools. So all schools are funded the same. I mean, the reality is, is if you go to school, say in Rockland, your school is most likely funded a lot more than say Grand High School. And to me, that's not right. Just based on where you live, you shouldn't have a better gym, more academic resources, um, nicer classroom, nicer technology, all those sort of things. And I think we saw that during this uh, uh, pandemic, this health crisis that we're in right now what schools had to provide laptops to their students? And then did those students have 
uh, Wi-Fi at their home. So now I gave them a computer, but now they don't have Wi-Fi at home. So now they still can't log on. And so I think it, it kind of uh, publicly exposed some of the uh, differences or inequities we have depending on where we live, which is a product of where our parents live. Um, so I just think there's a lot of things that we can um, do better. And um, I think education is just one of them. There's, there's many things in addition to education. I definitely agree. I guess I could have worded it better as, how could we increase equal funding in schools? Yeah, I think that's a product of changing the way schools are funded. So whether it's through property taxes, um, but change the formula of how schools are funded so they're funded more equally. Um, and that's probably somebody a lot smarter than me but you know, the studies show that the schools are not funded equally. And I, I don't know if you even have to work too hard to see it. I mean, go to some of the schools in the inner city here in Sacramento, and then go to some of the suburban schools and see if you just even visually see a difference. Um, how many people have computers, how many, you know, so, I mean, it's not hard to see. Um, it's just, we have to care enough to change it. Yeah, I agree, especially as a student in high school, it's not hard to see the differences as far as not even academic, but in um, visual, it's not hard to see the differences. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, when I taught at uh, Grant High School, we had a what we called the Criminal Justice Academy. It's still there to this day, but I started it in 1996. I still, you know, it's, I loved taking the students because part of their requirement for the academy was they had to do community service. So they had to do 50 hours of community service every year. So I love to take the students to these swanky um, events like crab feeds and things like that. Because people were always surprised when they found out that the students were from Grant High School because they had this impression from what they seen uh, about Del Paso Heights and Grant High School on the news. And it wasn't typically positive. Yet these students were doing amazing work and so I still talk to many of the students that I had um, when I was at Grant. And for example, one, one of them's a teacher in Atlanta, has won awards as a teacher. One of them's a police officer in, in Las Vegas. And the students are doing amazing things. And they grew up in Del Paso Heights and they grew and they went to Grant High School. So I know growing up in Oak Park and I know teaching and working in Del Paso Heights for so many years, it's not a matter of talent. The students there, they have all the ability in the world. They just have to have a way to nurture that ability and talent. They have to have good uh, schools and good teachers and good mentors, and they can be anything any other kid can be. Um, and so that to me just shows when, when we see the studies show that the results aren't the same, that means the, the assistance and the education and the funding wasn't the same because there's amazing students in Del Paso Heights and Grant High School. I might actually be talking to one named Kyla, but uh, you know, the, the, our kids, when they're growing up, they can be anything um, under the sun and we just have to provide them the, the, the means of getting there, the support systems, um, the education, the encouragement, um, and then they, then they take off themselves. And I, I've seen it too many times to know any different. Yeah, I agree. And um, a question that is leading to another one. 
Do you think that one of your mother's morals was to motivate others that they could do anything they put their mind to? Yes, absolutely. Because she basically lived that every day. I mean, my mom overcame a lot of stuff. And to think that um, she, she grew up and her whole family lives in Minnesota. And so I was five, my brother was 10, and my sister was nine. And my sister has um, significant physical and mental disabilities. And my dad died. So she's by herself with no family, no blood family, I should say, um, because she felt the community was her family. And yet she still raised all of us. And she did an amazing job. So, I mean, to think that she can overcome that and then serve others, I mean, that's, you couldn't grow up in my mom's house and not think it's an obligation to serve others. That, that is impossible to have grown up in my mom's house and not feel that that is not only just something maybe you should do, but your obligation. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> that's just the way it was in our house. You, you served others and, and you cared about others. And um, so, yeah, my mom lived that every day. And adding on to that last question, I think as far as schools going as our previous conversation, I think that teens have definitely proven that even without equal funding or the difference in school systems, that they can still do anything and achieve anything that they put their mind to. And I think that's very inspirational. I, well, I would say this podcast is proof of that. So I'd, a year ago, I had no idea that I would ever be on this podcast and this podcast didn't exist. But this was a youth-led, youth-run, youth-produced uh, whole podcast. So, you know, all it takes is people like Paris to, to say, okay, yeah, I like your idea. Let's do it. Why not? Um, and then now this is probably, if not the best, one of the best podcasts I've ever been on with some of the best questions and the best interview I've ever done. It's done entirely by youth. I mean, we're, we're we'll constantly be amazed if we provide um, spaces and areas for young people to do their thing. I'm amazed by my daughters just about every day at the things that they do, think of, accomplish, the things they say, the way they think. I get lectured by my youngest daughter every day about climate change and all sorts of other things. And I'm always amazed, like, where did she even learn all this stuff from? Why am I being lectured by a 13-year-old? Um, so I, I just, I think one of the things we've not done for a long time is um, listen to you guys. And these are, this podcast is an example of things that can happen when we listen and we, we step back and we go, you just tell me how I can help you and then let y'all run because you guys do amazing stuff. Thank you. But I think those things go to Sophia. Chief, what advice would you give to youth that you wish you received early on? Yeah, I don't, I don't know, because my mom uh, gave me advice in different ways, and it wasn't always spoken. It was lived. Uh, so I don't know that I would say anything that I didn't receive, because my mom gave me more than anything I ever needed in terms of that. Um, but I, I would say that um, the advice that I always give young people is, you know, we spend too much time thinking about a specific job that, you know, I, I imagine both of you have heard uh, the question many times in your young lives already, what do you want to do when you grow up? Like what career, what job, all those. And I, I just kind of think we should stop asking that. We should ask what you're passionate about. 
And I use my own story as, as an example of that. If you had told me in high school or any time when I was younger that I would have been a police officer at all, much less for 33 years, I would have told you you were crazy because there's no way I would be a police officer. But because being a police officer fed what I'm passionate about, working with the community and working with people, um, that's why I've been a police officer for 33 years. But I would have never even considered it. I never considered it as a young person. Um, you know, like my, my older brother is uh, in, in the computer field. He has a degree from Berkeley in computer science and he's, he does computer stuff. He's perfectly happy sitting in a cubicle all by himself for, for days on end. That would drive me crazy. Like I, I need to be out in the community. I need to be around people. I need to, I can't, I, you know, if you ask people around here, I probably don't sit at my desk very often because it's, that doesn't feed my passion. And so my advice to young people would be, if, if you are thinking about a job right now, think about why, why are you thinking about it? What about that job feeds your passion? And just think about what are the things that you're really passionate about? Is it helping people? Is it technology? Is it what makes you happy? And then that might open up a lot of different jobs that you've never thought of because they contain your passion. And so um, you might end up like me in a job for 33 years that you never once growing up thought about doing. Um, but because if you are not doing something that you're passionate about for a career, for a job, you're probably going to be a miserable person because our jobs, our careers are such a big part of our lives. They're eight, 10, 12 hours a day that we're at something we call a job. And if it's just a job to get you a check, you're not going to be super happy. I love, I mean, I have my good days and my bad days coming here to work, but overall, I love what I do. And so I would just hope that all uh, people your age, just think of what are the things that make you happy? What are the things that you're really passionate about? And go find, go look for jobs that has those things, and then you'll be happy for the rest of your life. That is excellent advice. And I say that because it really is advice that they can use and that they can utilize and they can actually put into practical application and better their lives. That's actually advice I use. I don't ask myself, hey, what do I want to do that's going to make me the most money? What can I tolerate is probably the question. If I had it my way, I'd just be living on a farm. I don't even need a job. I just have the dog, the kids, etc. <laughs> But yeah, I like that. Uh, Kyla, any last remarks for Chifon? Nope, just thank you for being here. Well, let me just say thank you, Kyla, and thank you, Sophia, um, not only for this podcast and the questions that you asked, but this isn't all you, both of you do. Uh, and so thank you just for all that you do to serve other people your age and try to make life better for people other than just yourself. So thank you. Um, I've seen both of you around in many different events and, and involved in many different things when you could be just being selfish and staying at home and doing what you want to do. So um, the world needs more young people like you. So thank you for all that you do. Of course. Thank you, Chief Han, for attending this interview and for giving us this insightful information, not only about yourself, but also wisdom to give to the younger generation. I hope that every youth listening to this podcast is going to go out there and actively find something that they're passionate about, and also find a mentor to bully them and give them that push because you really are greatness. You really have the potential to do anything that you want to do. Regardless of the funding your school achieves, look beyond that. 
really make your own opportunities. That is how this podcast came to be, because we stopped waiting for other people to hand us stuff, and we took the initiative. And it's because of great people like Chief Han and Parasite Impact Sack that this podcast exists. Each and every one of our co-hosts and participants bring valuable life experience, articulative ability, and a passion for representing the needs and views of youth across the state and beyond. We are the Gen Zero Podcast, forging tomorrow's leaders today. Tune in for new episodes every Friday at 12 p.m. Follow us on every social media platform at Gen Zero Podcast and check out our website, thegenzeropodcast.com.